Uh, please behold God's living word by turning to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 10 through 12, as our sister just read to us. I like to read books. Um, and typically, when you read a book, it tells a story. It's got a main plot to it, and it's typically developed from the first page to the last page. Now, it's okay to admit that not every single book uh, is written like this. Some, book, some books are, are collections of different thoughts, uh, different um, prayers, uh, different treaties that are put together. In fact, a couple of my favorite books are like this. The Valley of Vision is an, uh, an assortment of prayers uh, that are, are formed together. Uh, same with Richard Baxter's uh, book, The Christian Directory. It's, it's like four different treaties of, of theological thought. And these are great, but the, uh, sometimes these books don't always connect the main thoughts together since they're different ideas the reality is, sometimes we get trapped into reading the Bible this way, like it's a, a collection or a compilation of selected thoughts or ideas, sometimes related to one another and sometimes not. My intention today is what I believe is Peter's intention for his readers, and that's to help our congregation see that the Bible, the Bible is telling a single story. It's to, it's to show that the 66 books of the Bible, uh, though different and can stand on their own, are all telling the same story. Uh, Forty-some authors uh, assembled together, uh, uh, used by the Holy Spirit of God to knit this story for us to see and to know and to marvel at, as we'll see in this passage today. The Spirit spoke through the prophets and the apostles to tell us about the main character of this story, and the character of this story is a person, the person of Christ Jesus the Lord. And I want us to approach the Bible in this way. Every time we open our Bibles, we ought to see this single message that was preached by the prophets and the apostles, the message that we preach today, and that's grace came through a Messiah, a Christ, Christ being the Greek word for Messiah. And so main idea of our passage today is pretty simple. The focus of the passage is that Christ and his saving grace is the focus of the whole Bible. Peter's hope and his purpose is to increase the church's appreciation for the great salvation that we have in Christ. And he's anchoring the reader's hope even deeper by helping them see that their salvation is not some new plan. It's the always and only plan that God has ever given his people. And the purpose of this is to bolster the church's praise, their hope, their joy all the more while they're suffering. He wants them to see that God is working. And as predicted by the prophets and, and preached by the apostles, the sufferings of Christ were followed by su uh, subsequent glories, as we'll see here today in church family. Just as the Christ suffered and glory came after, so it is with the church. We suffer for a little while, but glory 
follows us. And, and Peter wants the church in Asia Minor to understand that whatever sufferings they are currently enduring, they are to see the scriptures through the redemptive plan that God is unfolding and he has begun preaching about long before through the prophets that suffering and glory has always been the pattern of God, God's people, uh, fulfilled perfectly and profoundly in Christ, yet it's our hope and our encouragement today as we remain in exile as the church awaiting the glory that is to come. There's going to be two points today. Uh, The first point is significantly longer, so beware. And the second point is short. But the first point I want us to see that the prophets took a Christ-centered approach to the things that they were recording that the Spirit had revealed to them. And so we're actually going to take time today to look at some of uh, the samplings in the Old Testament and see how Christ is actually to be found in the Old Testament The second thing we're going to look at is that these promises that were made were also kept. They were kept by Christ who fulfilled them. And then this Christ came and and the Spirit fell upon the apostles testifying to these things. And the, the apostles preached these things and we preach these things still today. And there's encouragement for us while we wait. The first point I want us to see is simply this. The promises made of Christ. The promises made of Christ. I I get this point from verses 10 through 12. Look with me there. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. Now, look with me in verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation. Now, look back at the previous verses that we've been talking about, especially verse 9. We see that this salvation is the one that has saved us. It saved us from our sins. It's the salvation that is now awaiting for us in heaven when Christ comes, as verse 9 tells us. It's the salvation that's fully based in the grace of God. A a grace that God caused, if we remember back in verse 3 and 4, he kept in heaven for us this inheritance, this salvation, and he guards this salvation through faith, even while we suffer. This is the salvation of God. It's the grace of God. And amazingly, verse 10 conveys that the prophets knew about this salvation. They knew about this grace that would ultimately benefit not themselves fully, But us, as we sit here today and as I preach, it's a quite amazing thought when we think about it. Verses 10 and 11, Peter describes further the revelation given to these prophets. The subject matter that the prophets were given was that God would bring to completion a salvation through Christ. One of grace that was brought about through his his sufferings and then ultimately his glory. And I want to look in this first point at kind of five things that these prophets um, were about, five deeper works from these prophets. Look with me in the first one, found in verse 10. They preached the message of grace. Uh, The prophets who prophesied uh, prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. The message of the prophets was one 
of the salvation of grace. I don't think we often think about that. The message of a holy God is about his mercy that has been lavished on an unworthy people, a a sinful people who did not deserve to have relationship with him. We see this first in Genesis 3, and we'll talk about that more momentarily, but we see all the way back in the book of Genesis that the prophets prophesied about this. In fact, the first prophet by name mentioned in the scriptures is Abraham. Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. And then we see in Galatians 3 in the New Testament, this is what the scriptures said. The the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So so the message of the prophets was a message of grace that is now ours. The the second thing I want us to see is found in verses 10 and 11. These prophets searched and inquired carefully what God was revealing to them. Look with me there. Inquired carefully about this grace, inquiring what person or time this would all come about. Uh, Consider with me for a moment how these prophets searched. They did so eagerly and with the greatest effort and care, trying to discover for themselves when the Messiah would come and who the Messiah was, asking when God would fulfill these promises. Uh, They were focused primarily, not necessarily on their own circumstances, but on the plan that God would bring about to redeem his people. Uh, Look at these verbs here. They prophesied. They inquired carefully. Uh, They were given prophecies, and they wanted to know everything about these prophecies. Uh, They looked at them carefully. They wanted to know the deets, the details of what was going on in God's plan. Who would this person be? How would this person come? These verbs indicate they weren't just curious, but they were actively searching out the details of Messiah, looking, overwhelmed by them, and wanting to know all that they could. They surely looked at the the scriptures that were written before they prophesied, also considering what God was having them say in their own words. Uh, They were looking for what God's meaning was. That's what the text is saying here in their careful inquiry, longing to know who this was. Now, I want to make a footnote here. Peter's not suggesting that the prophets didn't serve also their own generation. Uh, There's meaning behind the message for their own generation in every single example of prophetic literature. What Peter is saying is there is a greater message that was developing throughout the Old Testament story that they didn't have the full details on. I also want to make a note that Peter's not saying that the prophets and the saints of old weren't saved, that salvation only comes to New Testament saints. No, they they were saved also. They were saved actually in the same way that a New Testament saint was saved. Consider with me Galatians chapter 3 verse 11. When Paul says that no one is justified by God through the works of the law, but by faith. It connects exactly to what Habakkuk 2.4 says, that salvation was by faith, even back in the Old Testament. In Romans 3.20, Paul makes the point that keeping the law does not save an Old Testament Jew. 
Because no one, this is what he says in Romans 3.20, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. The law was never intended to save anyone. The purpose of the law was simply to make us aware or conscious of sin. Romans 4 is an application. Go read that passage uh, today and just see what Paul is talking about there. Paul makes it explicitly clear that the Old Testament way of salvation was the exact same as the new, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul says this in Romans 4, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. He says the very same thing about David in Romans chapter 4 as well. He says that, uh, that David was saved by faith as well. Romans 4, 6 through 8. And it's pulling uh, Psalm 32 in mind when it says that blessed is the man whose sin is covered as David prophesied. Paul taught us that the purpose of the law was to, to serve as a tutor uh, to us, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The Old Testament saints were saved the same way that we are. They knew the salvation of God. They, they simply knew it from afar. They knew it from a distance. They didn't know it fully like you and I have the privilege of knowing it today. They looked ahead in faith for a coming Messiah, wondering time and time again, is this the Messiah? Is this the Messiah? Is this the Messiah? They experienced different types and shadows. They saw the law of God. They knew the law of God, but Christ said, I came to fulfill the law. Uh, they knew the sacrificial system, but a sacrificial system that ultimately only Christ himself would fulfill. They, they knew the concept of deliverance. They knew that they were delivered out of Egypt by God, but we would ultimately see that it would be Christ who delivers the more ultimate delivery from sin and death. The Old Testament saints believed in the same Messiah. They just didn't know his name yet, and they didn't have the full picture yet but they were counted righteous by believing the words of God as they eagerly awaited him. These prophets, number uh, three, were also indwelt by the spirit of Christ. Uh, look with me there in verse 11. The spirit of Christ is in them. Uh, the spirit was at work in the prophets moving through them what Christ was having them record. Uh, the, the spirit of Christ and, and the Holy Spirit is the same thing here. It's working through human writers to record the great truths for man to learn. We'll see this next when we look at Second Peter here in several months when Peter records that the message of the prophets is completely reliable. There's no prophecy that was ever prophesied by the will of man that was actual prophecy. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These men were filled with the Spirit of God. Human authors carried along by the Spirit to produce for us, beloved, a text that is God-breathed, living word for us. And the prophets knew these things because God utilized them to reveal and to predict what it was that he was doing. That's why they inquired so carefully. What is our God up to? Number four, they predicted the sufferings of Christ and his glories. Look with me there in verse 11. 
The spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The prophets themselves spoke about both the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. The sufferings were predicted, have already happened. We see this fulfilled as Christ was rejected by his people. He was crucified uh, and rejected, scorned, uh, and he was buried in a tomb. We see that some of the glories that these uh, prophets predicted have come to, to fruition. For instance, Christ has risen from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of God in heaven. But they're not fully realized yet in that Christ hasn't come back for his bride. But they are predicting these things from the scriptures that Christ would suffer and that Christ would be glorified. Now, I, I want to take a minute here to, to just kind of push into this idea so that we can see from the scriptures that, that Christ was mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. Peter is saying that Christ is the center focus of the scriptures, and specifically here, I want you to hear what I'm saying. He, specifically here, he's saying that Christ's sufferings and his glory is the center focus of the Old Testament. Did you hear that? I, I, just so we don't think that the Old Testament is something different than the New, I want us to think about this. This isn't some idea that Peter is inventing, some new concept that he's ushering in. I want us to look at Luke 24, and I'm going to have a lot of passages of Scripture. I'm going to encourage you to just write them down and study them on your own. Jesus appears to some disciples after the resurrection. So suffering has happened and glory has happened also. And these disciples, two of them on the road to Emmaus, are really struggling with what they just saw in Jesus' sufferings. But, but listen to what Jesus does to them as he hears them mourning Christ's sufferings. He rebukes them. And he tells them that they should have listened to the prophets. He says, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He goes on in the, later on in the chapter, and he tells them that Moses, uh, the salvation is brought forward from Moses and all the prophets concerning this salvation of himself. He later finds himself in the midst of his own disciples, that he, he enters into the room, and, and, and Jesus shares with his disciples that everything in the law in the prophets and the Psalms actually points to him. It says that Jesus then opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That means they did not fully understand what the scriptures were teaching to this point. So Jesus had to do the work of, of, of shaping their understanding. And here's what that means. Jesus is the key which unlocks the Bible's correct interpretation. Which means we can read our Bibles wrong. So if we're going to read our Bibles right as a congregation, Jesus has to be the interpretive key, the glorious key for us to rightly interpret 
this. Everything in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms is about me. Here's just some basic examples of what uh, Jesus is talking about here from the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, both about his sufferings and his glory. Genesis 3.15, immediately after the fall of man, a seed of woman is promised. This seed would wage war against the serpent, the devil, the one who just tricked man, persuaded man to fall into sin. And in this declaration, God promised a savior, the Messiah, one from woman's seed who would rise up and crush the head of the serpent in this war. That's glorious. But yet also, we see that in this war, the seed would have his head struck by the heel of this serpent, referring to Christ dying on the cross. That's the, the sufferings of Christ promised all the way back in Genesis 3.15. You've fallen into sin, but here's hope. The gospel provided to us by God himself. We see in 2 Samuel 7, the historical books, God, and this is just a few passages, God makes a promise to a king named David that a king is coming from his lineage who's gonna sit on the throne forever and rule the kingdom forever from this seat. David, you're great, but a greater king is coming. And this text refers to Christ's everlasting glory and his reign, the glories of Christ that are coming. Uh, we, we see that even in the kingdom of Israel, as they fall into sin and they're destroyed and ultimately set into exile, the, the promise of the coming Christ is still there as God provides the prophets. And the prophets talk about a promise that is coming to save his people. Consider with me. Just a few of the scriptures from the prophets. Isaiah 9, that a king would be born from a virgin, from the throne of David, and the governments will rest upon his shoulder. That's glorious. This same king, though, we see in Isaiah 53, he's a servant king who would come and atone for the people's sins. How does he do that? Through his sufferings. He's oppressed, despised, rejected, afflicted, a lamb led to the slaughter who bore our grief, pierced for our transgressions, and crushed for our iniquities. And it was pleasing to God to crush him for his people. But the chastisement that fell upon him also brought us peace, suffering, and glory. We see in Zechariah 9, it talks about a king riding into Zion on a donkey who brings with him righteousness and salvation. That passage ultimately describes a king who's bringing peace in a kingdom that occurs through bloodshed, but the victory has dominion all over the earth, Zechariah 12. Ezekiel, 30, Ezekiel 34, Messiah would be a king shepherd who searches for his people who have been scattered. He will find them and he will be to them a good shepherd. Jesus fulfills this in John chapter 10. In Jeremiah 23, 5, a king from David will rule and prosper to the ends of the age. Psalm 2, Psalm 22, we see Christ fulfilled in the prophecies just as he spoke in Luke 24. Luke 2 talks about the glory and reign of the messianic king who would dash the people into pieces who did not kiss him. But to those who did, they would be his people, this king's inheritance forever and ever. That's glorious. We even see the suffering of Christ in Psalm 22. 
many psalms, but just Psalm 22. He's crying out. He's encircled by dogs. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus fulfills this. Just a glimpse of how everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. And there's actually much more that's not just prophetic, but it includes the the types of Christ in the Old Testament that reveal at least a pattern of what this Messiah would look like. Uh, We see Adam uh, and then we see Jesus as a second Adam. Uh, Genesis 2-7 that tells us that Adam is, is a living being. That's how he's described. But 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus is a life-giving spirit who doesn't fall for the temptation of the serpent, but actually says, man, uh, uh, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that protrudes from the mouth of God. He's better than Adam. He's better than Abel. Abel is a prophet, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, whose blood was spilt, who, who suffered uh, in, in, in innocence, and, in his blood, and Abel's blood cries out from the ground, but you know what the blood of our Savior does? It acquits us of all sin. He's better than Abel. Abel never rose from the ground. He's better than Noah. He's better than Noah. Uh, Noah needed an ark to keep him and preserve him from the wrath of God. Jesus is the ark for his people who preserves us uh, from the wrath of God, even though we're deserving of it from our sin. Jesus is better than Abraham, who is promised uh, that a seed will come from him, one that will bless the nations. And you know who that promised seed is? Galatians 3 tells us that it's Jesus. He's better than Isaac, who, who uh, was a promised seed And he was offered to his father, but Christ was the one who was actually sacrificed. Uh, And and we even see the gospel spill out. But Abraham uh, went to sacrifice his son, believing that he would be raised from the dead. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Christ is the one who is actually raised from the the dead. He's better than Jacob, who's the true, Jesus is the true firstborn. No gimmicks, no, no, no switches. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Uh, We see that he's greater than Moses. He's the greatest, he's the greater deliverer. He's the greater mediator between God and man. He didn't need the help of 70 elders. Christ can do it on his own. Moses brings forward the message that there's going to be a Passover lamb. That ultimate Passover lamb is Jesus Christ, the Lord. We see that he's greater than Joshua. Joshua might have conquered the inhabitants of the land, but Jesus is the conqueror of the greater enemy, which is sin, death, and hell. He's greater than all the judges. And if you read the judges, go look at the judges, you'll see all these different types of Christ. For example, Samson. He's better than Samson, who in a moment of righteousness at the end of his life, destroys the building and destroys his own life so that everybody who rejects God is destroyed also. But Samson didn't get up from the rubble. Jesus got up from the rubble. He's he's the greatest king of kings. David was a good king, but there's an eternal king that would follow David. In Deuteronomy 17, we see that both David and, and, and Solomon and all these kings from Israel ultimately did not do what the commands of Deuteronomy 17 said to do for God's kings in Israel. They're supposed to learn the word, know the word, write the word. Jesus was the word. All these things, the prophets, there's, there's so many to name. 
He's better than Jonah, right? Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Jesus was in the ground for three days. But he raised, just like Jonah did, but he never disobeyed and he forgave everyone who sinned against God, who called out to God for, for forgiveness. And then we get to, to, he's just the center of it all. He's the better priest, the king. He's the one, he's the better temple. He rebuilt it in three days. He's the center of every festival, the bread and the wine at Passover. He's the center of it all. And then we get to Matthew 1.1, and it's an incredible thought to see the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We see the genealogy in Luke chapter 3 that he came all the way back to Seth. Abel was killed, and the hope of the seed raised up in Seth. And you can follow it all the way back. The whole thing points to Jesus. And the Messiah shows up in John 1, and he puts on flesh, and he dwells among us. Now, the sufferings were predicted, and they, but they were still not fully expected. Right? It's like Peter says in Matthew chapter 16, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And yet moments later, after he makes this confession, Jesus tells the disciples he's going to have to go and die. That's a part of the prophecies. And Peter rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus rebukes Satan. He's like, get thee behind me, Satan. For you do not set your mind on the things of God. The things of God are the things that he has revealed in his word. Peter knew that Christ was Messiah. He just didn't know Messiah was going to suffer and raise. This is the pattern of the Christian life. And suffering, then glory. That's the Christ life. That's what he did. That's, that's what we do. The pattern of the Christian life is this, and in fact, Peter's gonna get to it in chapter two, verse 21, when he says, Christ left us an example of suffering and glory. There's so much to discuss here. So much to discuss here. This is why we have classes on this. We actually have a class right now offered at the 9.30 hour, talking about how Christ is the center of the entire scriptures. We're gonna do the same thing here in just a few months again. Because that's how important it is for us. This is how, this is an application. This is how we are to read our Bibles. If you are a teacher in this church, this is how you are to teach from your Bible. If this is what is important to Peter, this is what is important to us. And if you disciple your children, if you're discipling a person in the church one-on-one, this is how we interpret the scriptures. Christ is the center of it. And also, that Christ's way was the way of suffering and glory. And this is the encouragement that Peter is giving to his people right now, that it's the same way for us. Finally, we see in verse 12, they served us, not themselves. These prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. So God made these brothers before us, serving us, prophesying about the one who would come. Have you ever considered the privileged position that you have to see things that Moses wanted to see, that Abraham only had a hint about through a shadow. And we have this glorious privilege of seeing this plan. When the fullness of time came, Galatians 4, 4, 
We, in song, seeing the sufferings of Christ, the glories of Christ that began, then we can understand Genesis 3.15 better. Uh, then we can understand Isaiah. Then we can understand Jeremiah. It's a beautiful thing. And we have been served by these prophets. Be encouraged. He's telling them that. Hey, be encouraged. In the midst of your suffering, God is doing something. And he did it. He started it a long time ago. And he's carrying it out in our hearts. The second thing, and it's, I promise you, the faster point. The promise of Christ is kept. So the first point was the promise of Christ was made, but the promise of Christ was kept. Look with me in verse 12. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So, so just as the prophets served the people of God, so have the apostles. Talking here about the apostles, those who announced the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The apostolic word has gone forward after Christ conquered death and ascended. The Holy Spirit came down. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2? Do you remember who preached that sermon? It was the brother who's writing this letter. And he preached the first full sermon of the picture of God's unfolding redemptive plan, starting from the prophets and beginning to be carried out by the apostles. And this word has now come to the church to bolster them in hope, to increase their faith and living joy and to help them in their time of persecution. And it's the same message that we preach to you today. My, my job, our pastor's jobs are to preach Christ crucified and raised. Promised in Genesis 3.15. Preach today on June 4th, 2023. All over the world. That's it. The moment we veer from this is the moment we veer from the scriptures and we and think we got a better plan or a, a different way to read the Bible, one that's helpful, one that's a self-help guide or a way that's gonna be, make us more successful in this life, and that is not the way to read the Bible. Our hope is in Christ fully and profoundly. And of this gospel predicted by the prophets and accomplished by Christ, carried out by the Spirit, proclaimed by the apostles, and we preach to you today, look what it says at the very end, things into which angels long to look. They long to stoop down, that's what it says there, to just look, to get a peek at what God is doing in salvation history. The angels that serve God never had to be redeemed. So they're marveling at the people who rebelled against God and how God is bringing them back into redemption or through fellowship, through a redemption in Christ Jesus. They're marveling at it. We see this in Ephesians 2. They cannot get enough. Like a little boy. I remember my dad telling me he went to go see Mickey Mantle play one time. He just wanted to get a peek through the gate to see him hit a baseball. These angels are just longing to see this. And they're inquiring just like the prophets. The prophets inquired and the angels are marveling at the gospel that has come to us. So if we ever sit in our chairs going, yeah, 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 I know about the gospel. You don't know about the gospel. Because this is an eternal hope of glory beyond all compare. The Old Testament pointed to Christ. 
the full Christian gospel was preached by this man, Peter, as I've already mentioned. What the prophets predicted from afar has now become our identity in the story. We are identified with this Christ who has come through faith. That's what Paul says, which means you are united with him in his sufferings, and you are united with him in a resurrection like his, as the word says. So those who believe in this promised seed, this prophet, priest, king, glorious servant, conquering warrior, if you believe in him, you might suffer in this life, but you identify with Christ in his sufferings, knowing that there's a glory on the other side of it. So we can, in our chairs today, know that no matter what affliction, what suffering is going on in our lives, there is a glory that's coming that will outlast the suffering that you're going through in this world. Just a few quick takeaways. Quick takeaways. Number one, consider the privileged position we have in God's story. Prophets of old longed to experience what we have. I cannot get over that thought. I've been sitting in that all week, and I, cannot get the, I can't get enough of that. Job, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they're longing to see the things that God has revealed to us. Common people in Irving, Texas. Number two, settle in your heart that the pattern of God's people is suffering than glory. Remember the point of what he's trying to tell us, the reason he's bringing it all back, hey, this redemptive plan from, that the prophets preached about, this is to encourage your heart, to, to, to shape you up in the midst of affliction. This is our story too, and we can suffer for a little while, but do not be lost in your grief. Do not be lost in your grief. Don't be deter- deterred from the afflictions that you're experiencing. Resurrection is coming. There is no glory without Golgotha. There is no resurrection from the tomb without Golgotha, without, the, without Calvary. There is no glory for you unless you suffer. That's what it says in Romans chapter eight. Number three, like the prophets, this is just a takeaway, an encouragement. Look for the remaining glories of Christ to be revealed. They were eagerly awaiting Messiah to come. We ought to eagerly be awaiting the return of Messiah, our King. Are you putting more of your hope in a good week this week or in Messiah to return? They prophesied. They sought intently the things that God was doing. Oh God, through your spirit, would you help us as a congregation long to look at what you are doing? Number four, there is only one gospel. There is not an Old Testament and a New Testament. There is a gospel according to the prophets and there is a gospel according to the apostles. And we preach that gospel. That's why we can look at a book like Ecclesiastes And see Christ, the greater Solomon. That's why we can preach Peter, which I get is a total gear shift. But recognizing he's the center of that also. 
Read your Bible with continuity. Read your Bible with continuity. Uh, Fourth, search diligently in God's word. We're talking about Christ-centered reading. Read the Old Testaments eagerly, just like the prophets did. Like, what is the scripture saying about this coming Messiah? Do you read your Old Testaments that way? It's like, let's just let's get to Matthew. Search. The glories of Christ will be revealed to you in the word as you see the unfolding plan of God take place. The glories of the kingdom, the sufferings of Christ, they are all over the place. So we should look at Christ when we are studying the Old Testament. And then finally, we can praise God in suffering. Now I want us to remember that this this is the third sermon of the same sentence, right? Verse 3 through 12 is one Greek sentence. So we can't forget what he's saying in in verse 3. And he's saying, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given us a living hope amidst affliction. He's caused us to be born again. He's kept for us an inheritance in heaven. He's guarding it through faith even while we suffer. And he's going to bring it to completion when Christ comes back. And that prompts praise in our heart. We methodically chose the song we're about to sing. Crown him with many crowns. That's not typically a response song in a sermon. But we're going to praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because he's the center of the story. He's the center of our story. As the people of God, listen to this lyric from this song we're about to sing. No angel in the sky can fully bear the sight but downward bends each burning eye at mysteries so bright. Oh, that we would see the glorious mystery of the gospel of Christ today on full display through the scriptures. It's what Peter is using to anchor his people in hope, and we want to preach the very same thing today. Let's pray. Father, help us to see that our hope can be renewed today in the promised seed, in the promised Messiah. Promises have been made, promises have been kept, and we preach about the promises made and the promises kept still to this day meant to give encouragement to our hearts while we walk through this living exile that we're in. But greater than the exile is the living hope that we have in Christ. God, strengthen our hearts today. Help us to eagerly search for and inquire about this redemptive plan that you've allowed us to be a part of. In Christ we pray, amen.